Welcome to Common Work, Learnings for the Future from Common Field. This is the organization's final project as it closes in December 2022. In this four-part podcast and writing series, we'll explore what we've learned together through the life, work, and closing of Common Field, a network-centered arts nonprofit organization. You'll also hear about artist-centered work pushing our field forward today and our dreams for the future of creative sustainability from network members across the country. Each podcast episode is paired with commissioned writings from Ikram Lakhtar, writer and former Common Field staff member, Racing Magpie co-founder Mary Bordeaux with artist Clementine Bordeaux, Allison Friedman Weisberg and Sean Leonardo, co-directors of Recess, and Common Field board members Sarah Williams and Jackie Clay. You can access these writings, additional episodes in the series, and project materials for Common Work, Learnings for the Future, on commonfield.org through April 2023. Beyond that, you can access the project in full on our platform partner websites, including Jack Straw Cultural Center and Lohar Projects. Thank you for listening. You are listening to Episode 4 sustainability for the future. In this final episode, network members will discuss how they are thinking about, participating in, or developing new structures for sustainable creative work within our field of practice. This episode includes a conversation between Dia Vij, curator at Creative Time and a board member at A Blade of Grass, Aisha Williams, Deputy Director and Incoming Executive Director of The Laundromat Project, and Larry Osai Mensa, co-founder of Art Noir and a member of The Wide Awakes, a decentralized national network of artists and organizers. And now, Dia, Aisha, and Larry. Hey, everyone. My name is Larry Osai Mensa. I am a curator, co-founder of Art Noir, and also a member of the Wide Awakes. And I am excited to be here in conversation with Dia and Aisha. And I can hop in, Aisha Williams, uh, currently Deputy Director at the Laundromat Project, Incoming Executive Director at the time that this will be released. Hi, everyone. Dia Vidge, curator at Creative Time. I'm also on the board of the Laundromat Project and the co-chair of the board of A Blade of Grass. I feel like this is such a community of people that I respect and admire and have been following along and in dialogue with for many years. And I know have a lot to say about the future of the field and make it what we need it to be. I can jump in because I had a spark this morning. I came across this Toni Morrison quote, um, which is, as you enter positions of trust and power, dream a little before you think. And I just loved, loved that so much. Just that articulation of the dream a little before you think is even like, go slow and make time and space before you even get to the point where you're thinking about the thing that you're going to do. So just want to offer that as as maybe a way to give us something to think about. I love that because I feel like the 
opportunity we had during COVID season one to really just be in our homes quietly thinking and unpacking and witnessing all that was really breaking around us and had been breaking around us was such a call to action to to go slow and it really was this opportunity to dream a little bit we started a think tank with eight thinkers artists academics activists where we just spent 10 months in conversation thinking about what what do we need to build but it was the longest time I've ever been able to sit and think and talk to to people without a concrete end goal, just to be in that space of dreaming. And after that full year, we released all these amazing words and provocations and performance scores. But it really was not till like a year into it that we started actually designing like a real program and initiative. That's coming from such a long dreaming time of like what do artists need to do this really hard work of imagining better futures? And then what do we organizationally need to do to support them? Because we had time and had to gather differently that it emerged. I concur. Um, and it's actually interesting that we we opened this conversation with that quote because actually did a studio visit with an artist, William Osario, a Cuban artist, when I was in Miami. And he talked to me about this book, Leisure, um, mm-hmm. The Basis of Culture by Joseph Piper. He talks about leisure as an attitude of the mind, a condition of the soul that fosters a capacity to perceive the reality of the world. But he also talks about, you know, leisure has been and always will be the first foundation of any culture. And so two things I'd be curious to kind of hear your perspectives on this re uh, consideration of leisure, of rest, of dreaming, of imagining is what does dreaming mean to you? You know, what what does that mean in, in the work that you do now? One. And then two, um, why, this is just a base level curious question. Why did you come to, the arts and cultural space, the nonprofit space as uh, your forum to make a difference in our world, in our community. We all chose mm-hmm. a very specific route or the, the route chose us, depending on how you think about things. But I'd be curious, how did you get to this place? I made my way to LP at a moment when I was feeling very frustrated um, mm-hmm. in the space that I was working in. Um, And frustrated because, and this might speak a little bit about what it means to dream, frustrated because I felt boxed in. I could not figure out how to solve for or resolve for the fact that I I could not dream. I was was having a dreaming block. But for me, it's so interesting. Like when I think about dreaming, it's even those moments of like just sharing and just like, articulating and getting everything out in your head without any kind of forced connection making or meaning making of anything. It's just like, I got this thing I need to get out. And then once it's out of my head, I can start to see and make connections and make understanding and make meaning of this thing. And so dreaming for me is an active space. I do see dreaming as being in action, uh, connecting, a sharing, just a space to download 
um, and allow things to just float in the air and at some point come back together um, and make sense. So I think the way that I've come to this work that I do are those moments when I have recognized that I'm, I haven't been given the space to dream. You just feel it in your body. The moments when I've made moves to move me more towards a space that feels more true um, and honest are those moments when I've actually been able to dream and share that dream with others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love this question so much because I think there's, well, there's just so much to to get into in it. And I think about dreaming, I think about resting, I think about mm-hmm. Trisha Hersey and the nap ministry and a kind of framework towards rest that's political, that's anti-capitalist, that really understands our inability to rest and dream as a product of capitalism, like really big systems that kind of keep us working and away from our bodies. So dreaming and resting, I feel like is actually such a big part of of how I want to be working in the world and creating spaces and places for other people to work alongside me and with me. It's, It's never the thing that's talked about or given time for mm-hmm. but that dream space is actually so fertile like you were mm-hmm. saying Aisha it's active right it's mm-hmm. like where our ancestors speak to us it's how we connect to our lineage it's how we connect to our day-to-day it's how we think about the future that's also what we're building for is like more time for that connection to our own bodies and to other people and that relationship and that that rest and leisure has been something that's really been been taken away from us, mm-hmm. um, especially communities of color, right? And it's actually like so essential to the functioning of our communities. I mean, for me, it's interesting because I can say that the first time I like was conscious of this, I think was maybe 2018, where I actually like took the summer off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like I went to Greece. And I think when we talk about particular communities it was just interesting to kind of like be on an island and like have a coffee and like have nothing to do and like it was to listen to my body be like hey we need to be doing something we need to be planning we need to be like xyz but also understanding how restorative it was to my mind like so I guess my question is like how do you design within the organizations that you work in um, a culture of dreaming, of leisure, of responsiveness, one. But then two, personally, how do you kind of wrestle with that to make sure that you're holding yourself accountable to these these things that you may be uh, preaching to your, your your colleagues and coworkers? At the Laundromat Project, uh, introducing the practical into the conversation as a part of our Um, culture guide or HR policies, we introduced um, about three years ago a sabbatical policy. So if you're at the LP for seven years, you get seven weeks of sabbatical. Um, And so next year will be my seventh year at the LP. Um, So I'm doing a little early. I got a little advance on my sabbatical. But one of the things in the way that this ties in just with personal too, one of the things I'm struggling with is the fact that we've been so conditioned to be in work mode that it is hard for me to think about what it means to disconnect fully. I have anxiety, like real true anxiety um, just around that, which is which is wild. The fact that we've been so conditioned to think that 
time to rest and reconnect with yourself and reground is anxiety inducing. But I recognized in myself, I overscheduled myself. I was like, I was going everywhere else. And somebody really like pulled me and they were like, that seems exhausting. <laughs> it does not sound like fun. <laughs> so I even had to like rethink like what does rest even look like for me? And some of the things that I've been doing a lot of reflection on is like, where am I naturally in my most restful state? So I'm starting the first part of my time in New Orleans with family. New Orleans is very quiet. It's very slow because I realized that I needed to actually force myself to be in that restful state to allow that rest to kick in. And I'm really interested and excited to actually build a practice of rest. We are a field that has chronic just like exhaustion and burnout and all the things. And I am really particularly interested in how we build a space that does not cause that. Well, shout out to not working. (laughs) I had a, a forced sabbatical during COVID for three months when I was in between jobs, but with severance. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Just like having the time and space and knowing that I was had enough money to get through that time. So shout mm-hmm. out to getting that time. However, it happens and you can. We at Creative Time, we produce large scale works, installation. Everything we do is large scale. And so while I have a lot of time to be in that dreaming, imagining, thinking space with artists, there's still so it's still production work, right? So like on the internal end of of how our staff works, how we work, it's still like intense production work. Um, There's a lot of moving pieces to do anything large scale, just it's, and everything we do is unique. It's really difficult to think about how to build in rest and dreaming and pausing when you're in that kind of production work that I know you both can relate to. It's really difficult to think about what those pauses really are and how they can come into a a rest practice, which I'm going to steal from you, Aisha. I like that. I think that's what I love about the wide awake because it's decentralized. Mm-hmm. So it's like whoever has the bandwidth kind of can just tap in and the thing gets done, right? Mm-hmm. So that like you get time to rest, but like someone else is picking up the, the slack to kind of move things forward. At a blade of grass, we're now a very newly formed artist and art worker working board. So we're paid for our board service because we're paid, we have different responsibilities to to the work that we do at the organization. And we have to show up for um, more hours, perhaps, or be more in the weeds, perhaps. So something we said really early on was like, we need to just be in tune with each other's needs and, and where people are in their lives so that somebody can step back to take care of a family thing, take care of other professional obligation, and we can step in in their place. And even just having that conversation and being so mindful of it from the beginning has created that real culture of stepping up and stepping back as needed and being more of like a shared shared leadership in that sense. But I really am curious about the Wide Awakes model and what, yeah. want to learn more from you about I that, mean, Larry. From observation and participation, usually it's kind of rallying around a particular moment. You know, because Wide Awakes really kind of come into formation during COVID, after George Floyd. It's almost like a, a spinoff from what, you know, Hank and crew were doing with Four Freedoms, right? Where I think with Wide Awakes, and just also knowing Hank, 
he's always been really great about utilizing the resources available and then figuring out how to share them, right? And so I think it's about shared resources, about shared leadership, right? And you can tap into the network and just say, hey, I'm doing this thing around reproductive rights. Who's aligned in this vision and this work? And people will jump in. And literally, like, I've seen things kind of manifest within 24 hours. It's like really amazing in terms of like what folks can do when we're all on the same page um, and utilizing all the, you know, incredible talents that we have. And it's also kind of very similar with Art Noir. Um, None of us take a salary and people kind of just step up around different projects that they want to see come to fruition, you know, but I think it's also, you know, been a challenge for us to kind of make sure that, you know, no one, two people are kind of holding all the weight, right? Um, And so I like, you know, what you mentioned in terms of like, you know, being upfront about where we are and and, and where we need support. When we think about self, you know, preserving ourselves, Mm -hmm. setting boundaries, I think that's an interesting question I would like to ask, like how challenging has it been to set boundaries, particularly post, you know, COVID, I mean, um, but, because one thing that I found really frustrating is that, like, you know, coming out of COVID, then people try to put all this work on you. Um, so I'd be curious, like, how do you set boundaries? How do you say no? Because I think not all of us have, like, the capacity to say no. Sometimes we got to take the thing to pay rent, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious, like, how you've navigated it or at least created a condition where it's not frowned upon. When I think about the future of sustainability of the field, it is like really building our co-organizational ship. Um, There's so many times when, you know, we've had conversations with Creative Time and with Art Noir and with all these other folks and thinking about resource sharing. There are so many think documents and resources that are emailed around where we're literally almost functioning as if a collective body institution organization, even within our small individual entities, and so I think as we as we move and evolve that thinking even further, that allows space where I actually don't have to take on that project or take on that initiative. And whatever I know and intellectual knowledge I might have around that, I will share it with y'all so y'all can be in that space and do what you need to do to advance that thinking further. Yeah, I was just going to say it's um, it, that that requires and necessitates something I think we're all doing. The three of us, especially, is like a reorientation away from competition and mm-hmm. towards coalition mm-hmm. and, and a real understanding of like, well, if we together are creating this kind of net, this like netting of support for artists for to support artists and to support the proliferation of creative expression, then what of it do I hold and what of it do you hold? It's such an exciting shift because it asks us to really think about an ecosystem of art and cultural production instead of just our individual missions, visions, values. I think just the more we do this, the more we're really in deep conversation and collaboration, the more we're creating foundations that are actually sustainable. Like if we go to the core of what we're trying to do, which is that support artists, support ideas and support community transformation, like we got to do that together. I have this question around methodology and strategies for sustainability, which I think you've already kind of articulated on this coalition building, but how can we lean into that? Because I think we've been able to organically do that. 
right? Mm-hmm. But how how can we do that in a way where it becomes mechanized to a point where like this becomes like a alternative model, an alternative infrastructure? What strategies have you seen or employed in terms of this coalition building? Yeah. To me, simple is always the the best way to go. So I can think of like just a practical tool. Uh, Create a time in the laundromat project are a part of a consortium um, of fifteen organizations that have been fundraising together collectively since um, since COVID. We have formal meetings, but then also just kind of sharing through opportunities and updates, sharing through the social calendar with each other by email. Listservs are always golden because it is a very simple way of doing things when we, we continue to engage with alum who've come through the program. So we supported 200 artists over our 17 year history is with the most basic Google listserv. And it's literally, there is a Google group email account and it's the most basic thing. Um, there is no structure that's built around it. Anybody can share through things. That simple, simple act of creating space for sharing and connecting with no objectives around it, but just that, you know, the information is out now. I need to get on that list. Mm-hmm. And that's the same spirit that we're really going into opening this programming space with. It's going to be a community center for political artists because it's really intended to be kind of participatorily programmed and a place where you can drop in and take a book out of the lending library or hang out and see who else is there in the hope that just by creating physical space, we're able to facilitate some of that coalition building amongst artists that are working in similar practices here locally, but also internationally. Those listservs and those virtual spaces are so important. They've been so essential to finding each other and finding opportunity. And I think just we're trying to figure out how we do that in physical space. What does that look like? Definitely in the way that you all function with Art Noir and Mm -hmm. the studio visits or the the museum visits Mm -hmm. as seeing how people have created community just by moving through and joining and attending those. The virtual visits came out of just like, you know, talking to artists, understanding the power of digital and social, mm-hmm. right? Being able to tap into an artist who like may not be in like an art center because I always get, oh, how can I get my work seen? Secondly, in terms of this, the visits, in terms of exhibitions and tours and stuff like that, really just came out of like, the frustration of being part of museum groups, you know, because mm-hmm. I joined my first museum group in like 2008, 2009. And it was like not a lot of folks that looked like us or mm-hmm. like I was constantly fighting with the curators to go see a Black artist, right? There's still a lot more work that needs to be done. But I think it's it's been beautiful to kind of create this space that feels safe and, and people can be vulnerable um, and a lot of artists, particularly bigger name artists, kind of love it because it's like, okay, I don't have to perform. Mm-hmm. I can just mm-hmm. be me. You know, when we think about the future, you know, just to round this out, I think, how do we just kind of continue to tap into our true self mm-hmm. and not perform? And really focus on what what's going to allow me to be the best me, but then also to create space where other people can be uh, inspired and incentivized to do the same in their, you know, spheres of influence. So thank you, Dia. Thank you, Aisha. Um, thank you, again, Larry. I'm thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you all. And, and thank you for Common Fields for 
you know, allowing us to hold space and have this conversation. At the conclusion of Common Field's final gathering in Seattle on October 2nd, 2022, attendees on-site and online were invited to share their dreams and wishes for the future of our field. Read by Common Field staff here, we offer their words to you to light the path ahead. What do you wish for the future of arts organizing? Sustainability. For all people to discover the artist within themselves. That money isn't the dominant factor in what happens or doesn't. For an artist-led transformation of all paradigms. Togetherness, acceptance, and peace. To wake up with joy and expression. To move with purpose and good intentions. To transform what we understand as possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of Common Work, Learnings for the Future from Common Field. This project was produced with Chris Tyler and Raquel Dutois. Graphic design by Alexis Smithrick and copy editing by Nicolet Duquet. Jack Straw Cultural Center recorded, edited, and produced this podcast series. Common Work, Learnings for the Future from Common Field, was developed and curated by Sheetal Prajapathy in collaboration with the Common Field team. Theme music by Josh Nucci. Common Field would like to thank the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, whose significant and ongoing support of the organization has made this work possible since 2013.